Money can be a difficult topic, and sometimes people think and believe, sometimes rightly so, that churches only talk about money. And that's probably true for just about any nonprofit organization. However, just because people talk about money does not mean they're obsessed with money. As we see today, as we look again at the words of Jesus in the book of Mark, and we talk about when is enough enough when it comes to giving. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, November 18th, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we're in the middle towards the end of a series, actually. Next week is the last one that we have. And then starting in Christmas, I haven't given it a name yet, um, but we'll be talking about the story of Christmas. So we'll be looking at the Gospels and just saying, leading up to Luke chapter 2, which we'll, um, which we'll be going through on Christmas Eve. So remember, again, there's no church on December 23rd. That's the day we're going to be making lunches for the homeless. So we still have the same time. We'll still set up for church, so we're ready to go on Christmas Eve, but we're going to be um, making lunches for the homeless again and then ship those up to Denver because I think there's about four homeless people total in Douglas County. That's my guess, but I don't know if that's true. So we, um, we're in the, towards the end of this series, and hopefully you've got an appreciation for how fast the book of Mark moves. Hopefully you've got an appreciation for all the topics that Jesus has covered and what usually brings up one of the topics that Jesus talks about usually it's a question. So it's sometimes by Jesus' enemies. Sometimes it's by like a rich young man who just wanted to know, how do I get to heaven? What do I have to do? Today is a little bit different in that no one has asked him a question. Instead, Jesus is teaching. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of the background of where we're at. I'll try and make it uh, reasonably quick. So remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about government and taxes. That was during Holy Week. So and this was kind of like the pinnacle of how angry Jesus' enemies could get. So it's Holy Week, which means on that Sunday, um, which we know as Palm Sunday, on that Sunday, they had welcomed Jesus like um, big fans welcome, like a Super Bowl winning team. They wait at the airport kind of thing. This is really what's happening. So they take their cloaks and they're putting them on the ground. They're waving palm branches. They're putting them on uh, the palm branches on the ground. That all would have been probably okay. Do you know what drove Jesus' enemies just crazy? They start to sing. And they start to shout. And they shout. Um, if, did any of you grow up with a liturgy? This is not going to sound good, but you'll, you might recognize it. <laughs> Amy's already worried. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the... It's going to get too high for me. Name of the Lord. Okay, so maybe you recognize that tune. Maybe not. You're like... I think I sang that every week. I just never heard it that way. Um, so that was an attempt just to try and jog memory. That was not like a to-be-recorded rendition or anything like that. So during that song, we are quoting, when we sing that during the liturgy, we are quoting the people 2,000 years ago who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, who were quoting the Psalms. So for Jesus' enemies, this drove them crazy. This was, this was not cool. Just like imagine if you're a parent or a grandparent and you, you, you bend down to welcome your child or your grandchild, and then they run to somebody else when they're sad. Could you imagine that? That'd be like heartbreaking. In a negative sense, this is what happened with the leaders. They wanted control over the people. They wanted them to listen to what they had to say, and suddenly the crowd is running to somebody else. They don't like it, and they say, this guy's got to die. And if you read the book of Matthew, you always think that, like, they obviously were behind it and scheming, but it's actually Judas who goes to them and says, tell you what, what will you give me if I turn them over to you? And you know the price, 30 silver coins. And then this plot starts to, to cycle. And it's just a couple days from now. 
Now, if someone, if I knew all things, which I have no, I don't at all, but if I knew all things and you knew someone was going to kill you, would you still hang out in public? Like, what would they do if they had multiple death threats on the president? I mean, the Pope already drives in that cool bubble car uh, just for such a reason. But if they had multiple death threats on the president, do you think he would just be like hanging out at the World's Fair or something like that? Probably not. But Jesus, who does know all things, still continues to teach. He still goes to the temple. And the topic that he's talking about today is money. So we'll just pause there for a second. Um, here's my disclaimer, but not really a disclaimer. I know what you're thinking. Maybe you haven't been here much or you haven't been to church in a while and you're thinking, are you kidding? The church is going to talk about money again. Do you get that sense that the church is always about money? Does anyone get that sense? No one's going to raise their hand now because I'm going to remember. Hold on, let me get my phone out and then I'll just take pictures. Right, there, there is this growing sense and I've been to churches like where I've attended for a long time where it seemed like all they talked about was money and the need for money and you've got to give more and more and more. It was like a depressing wet blanket that came over so as a reaction to that, and this is like too much autobiographical, at my old church, I don't think I talked about money enough because there was a church across town that always talked about money. People always told me that, and I felt so bad about it. Like, I didn't talk about money, and I think I did the members there a disservice. The same thing would be true like if you grew up in a family. Um, there's a difference between being obsessed with something, I think, and just teaching and talking about something. So if you grew up in a family where you're, the family is obsessed about money, you're like, oh, I just do not want to hear it again. But do you think there's any fiscally responsible family that doesn't talk and teach money to their kids? Like my grandparents, they're fiscally responsible. My parents were. So they talked about budgets. They talked about what things cost. It wasn't, I wasn't totally oblivious. I knew what it cost to do things. Does this make sense? And as a church, I think a healthy church does actually talk about money. And, and for this reason, even if we talked about it every single week, do you think we could talk more about money than you think about it? Maybe you're one of these special people that you're like, money, what is even money? I haven't thought about that for months. Like, you don't think about some things for months. But I'm guessing most of you have at least contemplated or thought about money probably like the last um, 35 seconds since I've talking about it. But even before that, right, it just comes up. You start thinking about it. You think, do we have money to do this? How should we be using our money and things like that? Plus, Jesus talks about money, so I said it's a disclaimer, but it's really not, so I'm not apologizing at all. We're just going to talk about money. So Jesus is in the temple, as you saw that picture. That sort of saw that picture. Could you see it a little bit? Inside, the, they had these porticos. So it kind of looked like this. Inside, a lot like this, if you guys could see the porticos outside these curtains. But there's kind of overhangs, and inside those overhangs, they had these places where they could give their money. And to me, this is like the weirdest story ever. Because you, could you imagine, like, the offering plate going by now, and as a pastor, I would just, like, walk next to it and just watch people give their money? Could you imagine how strange that would be? You'd be like, this is weird, right? So, but Jesus is sitting, apparently, opposite where these are, and he's watching people put in their money. And this is what it says. Now, we're going to skip one slide and then get back to it. So Jesus sat down opposite where the offerings were put, and he watches the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury, and many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, this is a little bit different than our day because how do most of our offerings go? In our church, like 80% go directly from banks. So you don't even see those. I don't see those. Um, then the other ones, most people use an envelope. And then occasionally, people don't use an envelope and they put it in. So could you get an idea, like if you were maybe next to someone, how much money they put in? Yeah, I guess you could. But it's not very easy now. 
back then, what kind of coins did they use, or did they use checks? Was it like Fred Flintstone? Have you ever watched the Flintstones? They have all our modern conveniences, but somehow made out of rock. So they thought of it, but not enough to actually make paper, apparently. So Fred Flintstone would have like a check, and it would be like this much, and he'd have to put it on his car, which he pushes with his feet. So he's got a car with steamroller wheels, which isn't very efficient, but he, and he's got a check. But they didn't use those. They didn't use bills of sales as much like that. Instead, they actually put down coins. So could you have an idea, if all of us had to pay in coins, our offerings, and we had like a receptacle up here, could you get an idea who is giving a lot and who is giving a little? And you're like, no, I don't think I would notice. All right, here's my test. Which, which carny prize do you recognize in this picture? The giant banana, of course. So this is what, if you're the type of person, and I think we all are, who notices when you go to Elitch Gardens, the person walking around with like the pink elephant that's humongous on their back, do you notice that? You're like, no, I don't. I don't notice when they're on the roller coaster with their animal strapped in next to them. I, I never noticed that, Pastor. I, didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, okay, do you notice when you go to a birthday party and someone somehow has, brings the largest gift you've ever seen? Do you notice that? that has that ever happened to you? And you're like, okay, okay, now you're kind of, or Christmas, who had the biggest present growing up? This was always killer, right? You'd look under the tree, and you'd have, like, the older you get, it gets worse because it gets shaped into fabric. And if you're a dad, it gets smaller, and it looks like about like this, and it's a tie. But, I mean, as a kid, though, you always wanted the biggest present, right? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, did you notice? Yes. And they would have noticed, too. So if you're in the temple treasury, you're hanging out in an area a little bit bigger than this, you probably notice if there's 13 receptacles, people bringing in money. And obviously they did. Do you think the disciples noticed? Yeah. So they're watching this, not this. Um, they're watching this. The money go in, and they're observing that there's a lot of money. And some of that's pretty impressive. Remember about 15 years ago I was at the seminary? I remember it. Ted Turner, his gift that he gave to the United Nations. I would have maybe given it somewhere else, but he decided to give a billion dollars to the United Nations. It's a lot of money. And I still remember it 15 years later. So this is a big gift. You would have recognized it. That's all I'm saying. So this continues, though, and Jesus observes, which again is a little strange, but he observes a poor widow who came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny which wouldn't have been a big thing. And I actually brought one along. Has, it, has people seen one? I took it out of the protect. If I can find it, it's so dinky. My pockets are so huge. Okay, Here, here's a widow's mite. Can you, I don't know, can you see it on my shirt? It's like the size of my button. So imagine, I'll just hold it here for a second. If you want to see it, I can send it around if you want to see it later. This is a real one. This is 2,000 years old. You can get it on eBay for about 10 bucks. But anyway, um, it's about the size of my button. So you imagine how strange this would have been. People bringing like piles of money or sacks of money and it's making all this noise inside this receptacle and then, then this comes along. Could, could you imagine she just like kind of does that and just, I imagine her sleeking away but before she even sleeks away, Jesus calls his disciples over which again gets a little bit weirder. I'll pick it up just so you don't think about it. Which again gets stranger and he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. And they're thinking to themselves, what are you talking about? She put in these two dinky, the smallest coins you could put in. And he explains, they gave out of their wealth. Or, um, in Greek, it's like the abundance or their abounding or their surplus. 
but she gave out of her poverty. In her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. How does a person, we're going to talk about a couple things. How does a person get to a point where they're willing to give God everything? The only way you get there is if you start thinking in terms of what God has given me. Is there anything that you have, or do you think this widow saw anything that she had as not coming from the Lord? And if you come from an area that says, God has given me absolutely everything, and I'm just giving some things back to him, it's a little bit different perspective than, is is anyone reading The Hobbit, getting ready for the movie? We are, my daughter is. Yes, we are. Nice. I plant a few people in the crowd. Um, so, yeah, so we're reading The Hobbit, and Smog the dragon, if you're familiar with the story, they go to the mountain, right, and then they see the dragon. And what, where does the dragon hang out? Which sounds like the most comfortable bed of all time. On his piles of gold and precious things. So that's where the dragon sleeps. It sleeps on the, and you can just see picture like this dragon relaxing. And that's what I do. I sleep on our money. But that, that, that's just ridiculous. Some people do, actually, now that I think about it. Um, so this dragon sleeps on its money. So if you have a perception that says every single thing that I own is me, all this is mine, and it's my treasure, I guarantee you're not going to be generous with God, and I guarantee you're not going to be generous with other people. Have you ever met someone who is just so obsessed about, like, their stuff, and you just ask for, like, a little bit? It usually starts with little kids, right? You give them a pop, and who bought the pop? You did, and you're like, hey, can I have a sip of your pop? And they're like, oh, this is my pop, right? And, and I usually give the illustration, which I explain to my kids. Like, kids, I bought it. And now my daughters actually do it for my son. So I say, hey, Owen, can I have some Skittles? They're like, dad bought them. And then he hands Skittles over. You know, he's learning slightly. And the illustration I usually give is when we talk about Bibles, which I'll get to in a second, is involves Skittles. But so A, you recognize that God has given you everything. And B, you recognize that God has not only given everything you have, but God has given you everything. So without Christ, where do you stand? You're dead. Without Christ, you're completely selfish. Without Christ, I'm completely selfish. Without Christ, I'm completely greedy. And God says, you know what? I'm willing to come, even though you're in spite of your sinfulness, not because you're awesome or nice or I like you especially, but because of how nice I am, I'm going to give my son, which means what? His son actually dies. His son actually rises. His son actually says, you are forgiven. You are a new person. You're set free to do some amazing things. What she does, I think, is unbelievable. Can you imagine that? She's not giving up, like, everything in her wallet. Have you ever been to, like, um, I go to a lot of services, like conferences, and then I forget about it, and I'm sitting in the chair, and they, they're like, and now we'll gather the offering. I'm like, I, don't, I haven't carried a checkbook since like 1984 or something. So then I'm looking around, I look at my wallet, and how much cash do you think I usually have in my wallet? Maybe like two bucks. So then I, I take out my two dollars, you know, and you kind of like sleek it in there as it sneaks by because I haven't even thought about it or anything. Not, she's not giving everything in her wallet. She's giving everything she has. God has given her everything. She has given everything in return. So if you change your mindset to this is mine instead uh, to a mindset that says God has given me everything, I think it starts to unleash and open up some things that said, I'm okay giving things to God because I know he's going to take care of me. Wouldn't it be easier, though, if the Bible just gave you a mandate how much money you should give? Wouldn't that be easier? And I'll give you an example, taxes. 
Just imagine if you had to negotiate your taxes every time you bought something. You go buy a dollar pack of gum, and you start going on principles like they do in the Bible. Here's the principles the Bibles talk about. The Bible says give your first and best. The Bible says give generously. The Bible says give cheerfully. And the Bible says give sacrificially. Now imagine going to, you go to Walmart or wherever you're at, you buy a dollar pack of gum, and they said, now how much tax would you like to give? And you have like a negotiation right there. You're like, well, I want to give generously, and I want to give my first and best, and where would you naturally fall? 8.9%. It's exactly where our sales tax is, so this would work out fantastic, right? Why would we hate that? Who wants to give more taxes than you should? Is anybody here volunteering for that? No, I mean, I like it. I, I do not mind that the government mandates exactly how much I should give in sale tax because I never feel like I've given too much. Like, just think of it as this blind idea. You just didn't know how much money you were giving. This would drive me crazy. So wouldn't it be easier if the church just worked this way or donations worked this way? You just said, you have to give. Here's how much you make. Here's what you've been given. Here's exactly how much you should give. We're going to walk through kind of longest illustrations, and I think it'll make some sense in the end. So stick with me. After church, this is, I'm going to ask you to go running. And I want you to run a long way. So think, this is not hypothetical. What is a long way to run for you? Kids are thinking, how far are the donuts away? So you're the one actually running. How far is a long way to you? you got a, you're, gonna, you're the one actually running. There's smirks, right? My daughter is training for the training for the turkey trot. So that's a 3.1, I think, 3.1 mile run. She's never run three miles without stopping in her whole life. And she just ran two miles last week. She's like, Dad, it is so far. So to her, three miles, this is a big deal. And we're going to see if she can run all the way on Thanksgiving morning, 3.1 miles. Does that seem like a long way? Some of you are like, eh. Now you're the one actually doing the running. Now some of you have trained for half marathons or 5K, so now you're uh, 10K, I mean, so now you're at six miles. You're thinking that's kind of a long way. And then you run a 10K and you're like, no, oh, I should run a half marathon. Then you run a half marathon and you're like, that's pretty far. But man, how do people run for like four hours straight for a marathon? And then you start thinking about that, right? And then you start thinking, what about these ultra runs? They run 50 miles. Or the people who run the Leadville 100. They run like 100 miles at 10,000 feet. So in that perspective, I'm guessing most of you have fallen in between um, not running and 100 miles. Is this, seem, is this accurate? Anyone over 100 miles that I, I felt like I didn't touch the people, right? So we got it, right? The same thing actually happens with offerings, doesn't it? I'm going to, now just imagine again, this is a hypothetical, but you are the one who would actually be writing the check. I say, at, today at church we're taking a special offering I want you to give um, your first and best, generous, cheerfully, sacrificially. I want you to write an amount out which you think would fit this category. And you write this amount down. This is what you're going to give to a charity you're going to give the church. Will all the numbers be the same? I, I, don't, I might be stretching here, but I am guessing there are people here who have less than you have that have a bigger number in mind. So, so how does that work? How can someone have less than I have, and yet they're going to be more generous? They're going to give sacrifice more. They're going to give, they're going to give more to it. You don't just wake up, roll off the couch, and run 50 miles, do you? And in the same way, it, when it comes to your giving, you don't just wake up one day and just say, you know what? 
I should be giving 15% of my income to church. You know, I should be doing that. Why haven't I even thought of it? I've never even given before. I'm going to give 10% or 15% of my income to church. Does that happen? Or is this something that happens kind of over time? I've got a challenge that's going to be coming up that we're going to be talking about. Um, my job as a pastor is not to tell you how much money you should give. My job as a pastor is to proclaim Jesus and to help you grow in your worship. My job is to proclaim Jesus and help you grow in your um, Bible study and, wor- and learning of God. My job as a pastor is to help you grow in your service as your commitment to God as you do it. My job as a pastor is to proclaim Jesus and help you grow in your giving. I cannot tell you how much you should give. And I think it would be disastrous if I did. Has anyone ever been part of, um, I'll, I'll come at it this way, back to running and fitness. And sorry to hit this again. I think collectively as a church, we could get in our best shape ever if we all do 20 push-ups and run two miles every day for the next 90 days. So think about that. Right? Does this sound like a good plan? You know, I, 20 push-ups, two miles. Now, what's the problem with this illustration? Some of you can't do one push-up, much less 20, right? So then you're like, are you kidding me? How many, some of you have never run two miles two days in a row ever. Maybe one day in a row. So that seems like a lot. Or some of you, though, on the other perspective, you're training for some intense stuff, and you run like 14, 20 miles. You warm up with 20 push-ups. So collectively, where would we be as far as fitness goes? Some of you, at the end of 90 days, would be in the best shape of your life. Some of you would be exactly where you started, and some of you would actually be in worse shape if we mandated this is all you could do. Does this make sense? The same thing happens spiritually. If we mandated, here's exactly how much money you should give, some of you would see the joys of giving and the wonder of it. And, and you would say, God has supplied for me even though I didn't think he could. And you found what a wonderful thing this is. And uh, you'd be growing spiritually. Some of you would be the exact same. In some, it would be a disappointment and you'd be frustrated. Does this make sense? The same thing is true. So this is what drives me nuts. And I'll just have one aside before we, we talk about this. Have you ever been part of a campaign where they say, this is what I want you to do. Give up one latte a week. These <laughs> Has anyone been part of this? I've heard this spiel, I think, about 25 times. They're like, here's what we want you to do. You give up one latte a week. And I, I don't drink dairy products, so this is really easy for me. But you don't give up latte a week. That's $4. And since you tip, and you're generous people, you're at $5. That's one time a week, I mean a month, and then uh, $20 a month. And now you got $240 over the course of the year. I think that works for peripheral things. I think it works at Thanksgiving when they say for $2.99 you can feed a family or $12.99 or something like that. I think it works when they talk about um, Suzanne, what was her last name, Southers? Can you picture with the orphans from Ethiopia? And she'd say for $0.99 a day you can support uh, an orphan in Ethiopia. No one remembers this? Um, I really dated myself there. That was probably from 1982. And you're going to look up Suzanne Southers and she's going to have feathered hair. Okay, so... Compassion International is a current organization that does the same thing. They say 99 cents a day, you can support this child's schooling and food. And you think that's pretty cool. I think for peripheral things, that works. Does that work when you're talking about your offerings from God? I don't think so. And I think um, my job as a pastor is, again, not to tell you how much you should give, but to go where you're at. So for the next 90 days, I thought that was a good number. For P90X, has anyone done P90X? 
all the way through, or has it been like P22X? <laughs> but anyway, so it's P90X. I thought 90 days is good. Starting in December, and we'll just call it Courageous Giving because it seems to work. Here's a picture. I'll put a picture like this in the bulletin just to remind you. But I'm not saying collectively as a whole we should all do the same thing. But I think it makes some sense to go where you are at. And so there's, from my own life, where are you at? There's four spots where people come, and I'll explain this. And I appreciate your patience as we talk about kind of mundane things but as, as giving. There's really four categories, and this is a reflection of my own life. When I think of how I've grown as a giver um, and how Amy and I have grown as a giver, I was pretty sporadic. You know, it's like once in a while, it's like when I explain at conference, I work summer jobs, and if you had some money in your wallet, you might put some in, you might not. You don't think anything of it if you do. That fit in the, the category of sporadic. Um, regular is just, we started getting a system that says, okay, I've got a set amount, and I want to give this monthly or weekly on a regular basis. Does this make sense? Percentage giver is, um, and I'll touch that in a second, when Amy and I got married, this changed. So I worked summer jobs at a lumber yard, and I was not very, con- I was consistent in a sense, but I didn't really think about it too much. When we got married, we sat down and said, how much money has God given us, and what do we want to do about it? And then extravagant is um, stretching beyond that to say, you kind of goals to say, God has taken care of us here. Can we stretch a little bit more and see the great joy that God has given us? I don't give, and Amy and I don't give, because the church needs it. And I've said this before, the church does not need your money. God does not need your money. I give because I need to give. And I need to say, I don't want money to control my life, and I want to support something above and beyond me. So here's my challenge to you. If you fit in this sporadic, you don't have to raise your hand or something like that. If you're just kind of, whatever is in your wallet, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because the Bible talks about being, um, giving your first and your best. And I think when you're giving the leftovers, there's a certain uh, message that you're giving yourself and a message that you're giving to God. God, you can have whatever I have as long as I've got to buy all the things I want first. If you're in that category, my challenge to you, starting in December for 90 days, is to say, I want to give regularly, whatever that amount is. Use the offering things, do it through the bank, um, however you want to do that, do regularly. If you give regularly, my challenge to you is to start thinking in terms of percentages. Usually when people switch to, to regular, they go, um, I just pick up an amount, kind of at random, that sounds good. Usually it's like, okay, I want to give $5, or I want to give $10, or $20, or $25, or whatever that amount is. The difficulty with that, as I found in my own life, is it was like 1994 probably, and I picked an amount, and it's working and working. It's now 1998, and it's the same amount. Has that happened to you? If you're a regular giver, you kind of, you lock into an amount. That's my church amount. It's just like paying the bill, right? Is anyone's, uh, your phone bill does not change. Your cell phone bill does not change unless you have kids that text too much. But generally, these amounts stay the same, right? And you're like, that's cool. I'll just lock into that. And I never think about it. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice by not thinking about it and just locking in. What my challenge to you is if you're a regular person, start thinking in terms of percentage. Like the widow. The widow did not give from what she didn't have. She gave from what she did have. So think of what has God given me, sit down as an individual, sit down as a couple, and say, what, what percent am I giving to church now? And try and stretch a bit and start thinking, what percent am I doing? And can I stretch like another percent? So if you're giving 1.5%, think, okay, let's just give 2% for the next 90 days and see how that works. To me, that was helpful. Because, you, again, you don't just get off the couch and run 50 miles. You don't just get off the couch and say, I'm giving 10 plus percent of my income to church. So my challenge to you is if you're a percent person is to think I'm going to stretch just a little bit. If you're already thinking in these terms and and this makes sense to you, then think 
maybe there's a milestone mark of percent that I want to hit. And this has been helpful for us, I mean, as a couple. We'd say, okay, let's um, move to 5%. And at the time, it was 10%. I, I made $900, $950 a month. And we sat down and we said, well, what's the percent of it? Our goal at the time was let's hit 10%. This is a big deal for us. So we, we wrote it out, $95. So it's got to look strange when it comes in the offering plate, $95. So we wrote that out. That meant a lot to us because it was kind of a significant amount, a, a significant percentage. And we said, we can't live on $950 anyway, so we might as well give it away and see if God can take care of us, and he always did. So we wrote that. And if you're getting to that milestone mark, extravagant giver, you're already saying, already, I give 10% of my money, or I give 15% of my money, or I give 20% of my money. My challenge to you would be, over the next 90 days, just pick some particular project. I'm not saying stretch it again, but think some particular project that you think would be cool, it'd be tangible, and say, I want to give during this next season a, a gift towards that. That's my challenge. Hopefully, you'll see, I'm not trying to tell you as a pastor how much you should give. Hopefully you see the great joys of what God has given you. You'll see that God has given you everything. And you can see what a wonder it is to say, I am not going to control my money. I'm not going to lord it over and sit on my little pile of cash. Instead, God, you've given this to me. I want to give some back to you out of thanks to you. Hopefully, over the next 90 days, you can figure out where you actually are and say, I'm getting off the couch, or I'm starting to jog, or I'm starting to run, or I'm really starting to stretch and sacrificially say, God, what can you do in my life and what joys can you bring through that? I hope that's what you see, um, as again, um, as I have found and hopefully many others. Amen.